Hey, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Good to be together uh, with you uh, today as we continue with part number two, step number two of uh, this series called uh, Life and Mission, uh, based on this book called Life on Mission by Tim Harlow. Last weekend, we had Tim here to speak. How many of you were here last weekend? Just a quick show of hands. Oh, quite a few of you. It was really powerful. Great, great uh, weekend. And uh, Tim really challenged us, uh, kind of like the monologue, to really evaluate the way that we see our mission and the way that we see other people. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go to our website, uh, go, to, go to our app. You can use our app and uh, watch that message. Well, today I want to begin with a story uh, about a guy by the name of Melvin uh, Dumar. And uh, this goes back uh, many, many years. And people still debate the validity, the validity of this uh, story. Uh, but if it's true... Uh, if it's true, what a remarkable story. It goes back to uh, 1967 when uh, Dumar owned this gas station in a small town, Willard, Utah, where he lived with his, with his wife, Bonnie, and where they raised their four kids. And on this particular day, Dumar had to take a, a business trip to Los Angeles. But as he leaves, uh, doesn't get very far, and he notices a guy on the side of the road, and he doesn't look very good. And so he pulls over to see if the man needed help. When he came to a stop, the man comes over to the car, and looks uh, disheveled, uh, his hair is uncombed, uh, he uh, has scratches all over his face, dirty clothes. The man explained that the scratches on his face came from a motorcycle accident and that he walked quite a, a distance. And uh, so Dumar opened the door and offered to take him to the hospital, get him some help. The man declined. He didn't want to go to the hospital. He wanted to go to Las Vegas, and so Dumar helped the man into the car, and off they went, and eventually they arrived in Las Vegas. Uh, the stranger directed him to the back of the Sands Hotel where, where he got out of the car, and as he, as he, as he left the car, he asked, uh, he asked if, if, if Dumar had any change that he could borrow to make a phone call. Dumar gave him some, some, some coins, and the man left. He wished him well, and he drove off to Los Angeles. Dumar never thought about it again until 1976, nine years later. Melvin Dumar received a phone call at home from an attorney. At first, he thought the attorney had the wrong number. The attorney said that somebody had named Dumar as a partial beneficiary in a will, and he would receive one-sixteenth of the person's entire estate. And the reason that he was named, uh, that they named Dumar in the will, went back to this stranger that he helped, that he, that, he, that he picked up, that he gave a ride to and gave money for a phone call. The, the attorney explained that the, that the stranger that he picked up was this wealthy, eccentric man by the name of Howard Hughes. And then the attorney told him, Melvin, you will inherit approximately $125 million. As word gets out and as reporters uh, descend on Dumar, uh, Dumar told reporters, I can't believe it. To be honest, I thought I was just helping a bum. But here's what's really interesting. It never once occurred to him that by helping a stranger, he might be helping himself. Never occurred to him he might be helping a stranger. As he helps that stranger, he might eventually uh, be helping himself. Well, Jesus told a story very similar to this. And uh, here's how Jesus' story went. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expenses that you might have. Now, the Melvin Dumar story and the story of the Good Samaritan have many similarities. But the Good Samaritan story is not just a story, you know, Jesus told long ago that might have happened. It's a story that gets repeated and lived out again and again and again. And the story of the Good Samaritan illustrates the second step in life on, on mission. The big idea of life on mission is that Jesus calls every person here to be a witness for him, to help more people find and follow him. And uh, in his book, Tim Harlow uh, uses the analogy of a home to explain the process. And, and the first step is to connect with people in the backyard, maybe in your backyard where you have a barbecue. And then you invite people into your home where you serve them. You sit down around a table where you share with them, and then you bring them into the kitchen and you teach them how to cook so that, you know, they can feed themselves and grow. And of course, this whole process involves uh, prayer. And so today we're going to use the story of the Good Samaritan to learn about step two. Now, I love the story of the Good Samaritan, but the downside of using this story is that it may be very uh, familiar. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have heard the phrase Good Samaritan? Uh, before. Okay, yeah, quite a few. How many of you have heard the story of uh, the Good Samaritan taught uh, before? Yeah, it's very, it's very popular. The hard, the hard part about teaching this story is we think we know what it means to be a Good Samaritan. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Good Samaritan? Many of you would probably say things like, be nice, be kind, uh, be helpful, serve others, sacrifice for others. And that's partly right. But if you think the story of the Good Samaritan is just about being nice, you miss the reason why Jesus told this story. Jesus told this for reasons that go far beyond uh, just being kind and, and nice. How many of you like to watch uh, Seinfeld uh, reruns on television? Any Seinfeld fans? Here in the house, I like to watch those. Uh, my kids will watch them, and I'll sit down with them, and they're and they're funny. Now, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you probably remember the grand finale, the last Seinfeld uh, show. They actually took a shot at explaining the story of the Good Samaritan, and uh, what happened? What eventually happens to the four main characters? We got George here, we got Jerry, we got Elaine, we got we got Kramer. Is that they end up uh, getting arrested for watching a carjacking? They, they watch this robbery, and they don't do anything about it. They get arrested for breaking a law, and the law is called the Good Samaritan Law. And there's a scene where uh, George pleads from the uh, jail cell, and uh, he says, why would, it, why would we want to help anyone? That's, that's what nuns do, and, and the Red Cross does. It's, it's kind of a funny line, but you know, that's how people think of the Good Samaritan, as being kind as being nice and, and helpful. And that's part of it. But let's go back to Luke chapter 10 to really understand the full meaning of the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. The story, the story is actually Jesus' response to this question. It's a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy comes to Jesus and uh, he wants to know, how do I gain eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? And so what we call the story of the Good Samaritan is really Jesus' answer uh, to this question, how do I get uh, eternal life? Now, when you hear the phrase eternal life, you probably think of heaven, the afterlife, spending eternity with God, streets of, of gold, sitting on a, on a cloud, playing a harp, you know, that kind of thing. But that's not what this is about. What this guy really wants to know 
is how to live a blessed, abundant, God-directed, fulfilling life. Because in Scripture, when they would use the phrase eternal life, I mean, that includes eternity, but you know what? It actually starts right here and right now. And so let me say this again because, because this is really important. Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan to explain to people, to explain to us how to have the best life possible starting uh, right now. And, and so through the story, uh, Jesus teaches these radical truths so that we can experience you know, this fulfilling life, this, this, this blessed life, this abundant life starting now and lasting uh, forever. And so let me share some of these truths with you. Here's the first one. Radical truth number one, your neighbors need you. Your neighbors need you. And some of you are going, my neighbors? Hey, hold it. My neighbors are doing great. In fact, I was just thinking about how I wish I was doing as well as my neighbors. But in this, in this story, uh, the first radical truth is that Jesus redefines neighbor. Jesus redefines neighbor uh, to mean not somebody who lives beside you, but anybody who has a need. Doesn't matter if they're down the street or on the other side of the world. Doesn't matter if they're your friend or your uh, enemy. Doesn't matter if they look you know, very similar to you or they couldn't look more different than you. A neighbor, according to Jesus, is anybody who has a need. And you and I have people around us every day who need our help. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm convinced of this more and more. Every day, you and I walk by people who are hurting. Now, many of them are hurting because of the past, the pain of a broken family, the pain of a devastating divorce, a parent who was absent or abusive. You know, every day we walk past people who struggle with addictions to drugs, to alcohol, to sex. We walk by people who have tremendous financial needs. We walk past kids who have needs, kids who need a home, kids who need tutoring, kids who need coaching, kids who need somebody who believes in them. We walk past people with physical needs and, and handicaps and and in our ever-shrinking world, because of technology, I mean, we have greater awareness of the needs of our global neighbors. People in third world countries living on $2 a day. People who live without access to clean water. People who have young children who will probably not live past age six. I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm talking to myself too, if we will open our eyes, every day we encounter neighbors, the way that Jesus defined them, who need our help. Tomorrow. God's going to put someone on your path, a neighbor who needs your help. Today, if you'll open your eyes and ears, you will discover someone who needs your help. That's the first radical truth. Okay, here's the second radical truth. Empathy is not enough. Feeling sorry for people, it's not enough. You know, wincing, ah, feeling bad, uh, just feeling empathetic, being empathetic, that's not enough. It's not enough. You know, when people down the street go through foreclosure, you know, feeling sorry for them, not enough. When a hurricane hits Houston or Florida or, or Puerto, Puerto Rico, shaking your head, shaking our head at the news, that's not enough. When you see someone at work or at school who is far from God, and you know that Jesus could make a big change in their life, just wishing that things were different, that's, that's not enough. I think, I think one of the reasons, one reason that Many of us don't experience the abundant life, the, the uh, fulfilling life, the, the eternal life that Jesus wants for each one of us, that Jesus describes, is because we just settle 
for being empathetic. And empathy is not enough. But something I'm really excited about is that I, is, is I see more and more people and more and more churches, including River Glen, discovering this radical truth. I see this in churches that we've helped start around the Milwaukee area. They have a bias for action because they know that empathy is, is not enough. For example, we helped start a church in Muskego uh, a few years ago called Lake Point Church. And here's a picture from last spring. Uh, they, they participated, they hosted this event called Muskego Feeds. And here they are uh, making, making 50,000 meals uh, to serve the hungry people in, in Muskego. And... Uh, and, and Wisconsin. A year ago, we helped start City of Light Church. They meet in the uh, theater over at Mayfair Mall. And this past spring, they did an outreach event in Sherman Park, a, a very, a very uh, problematic area in, in Milwaukee. And uh, they went into this area with free food and games and activities for kids and resources for families. And they also cleaned up some of the neighborhoods. We also helped start Legacy uh, Christian Church in Menominee Falls. And every February, along with other churches across the country, they host this event called Shine, a night to remember. This is an, an event for people with special needs, age 14 and older. Because sometimes, you ever think about this? Sometimes, people with special needs, they never have the opportunity to participate in social events, you know, that, that many of us probably take for granted. But they get treated as the honored guest at this event, and they shine and have an unforgettable prom experience. I'm excited about these new churches that we helped start. We're, we're able uh, to be part of going beyond empathy into action uh, throughout the Milwaukee area. And I'm excited to see River Glen stepping up more and more as a leading church, going beyond empathy into action. I'm excited that next year in February 2018, we're going to host Night to Shine here in our building and uh, as, part of, as part of Love Waukesha. And Hopefully many of you are going to volunteer and help out and serve people with special needs from our community. It's going to be an amazing event. And I'm excited about what we're doing in our local community through our partnership with Habitat for Humanity and Whittier Elementary School. Last, last uh, Saturday we did this event called uh, uh, the, the Super Cool Back to School uh, event. And uh, I went I stopped in to see what was going on. And uh, many of you volunteered. We provided, and we provided over 100 kids and their families with free clothing and free haircuts and free lunch and a color run and games for kids and their families. I just felt so proud of our church. What a great way to serve needs in the community because empathy is not enough. And that's the second truth. All right, here's the third radical truth. If you want to have the best life ever, Third radical truth from this story. Like the Good Samaritan, you know what? You got to get off your donkey. Get off your donkey. Do you notice in the story of the Good Samaritan that two out of three people, you know, they just stay on their donkey. They just pass by and did nothing. And here's something that scares me. Two out of the three that passed by and did nothing, they were the most religious. And so beware because, because many forces in your life will push you to settle for doing nothing. One of them might be religion. You know, maybe you've got this uh, checklist. Oh, I did that already. You know, I serve already. I'm a greeter at church. I serve with the kids when they ask me uh, to, to, to do it. You know, you know, it's time for somebody else to step up and serve. See, religion can cause you to just go through the motions and not put your heart in it. Religion can stop you from getting off your donkey. Or skepticism, a skeptical attitude can keep you 
from getting off your donkey. Maybe you find yourself just feeling skeptical about people in need or about charitable organizations going, is this really a good cause? Will, will I end up getting ripped off? Will somebody take advantage of me? Skepticism can stop you from getting off your donkey. And I think for a whole bunch of us, we're in such a big hurry. We're in such a big hurry. We just don't have time to get off our donkey. Oh, I'd love to help, but you know, I've got places that I need to, need to be. I've got stuff I've got to do. I've got people that are counting on me. Maybe another time I can help. We're in such a, such a hurry. Now, does that mean that every time we see or hear about a need uh, that you have to get off your donkey and help? Well, for most of us, that's probably not the problem that we help every, every time. And if that's the first question that we ask, you know what? For, for you and for me, I mean, that'll keep us firmly planted on our, on our donkey. See, the good Samaritan got off his donkey because he saw this man in need. And he, he did what God enabled him to do. He uses the, his own oil and, and wine as medicine to treat this man. He uses his donkey to transport the man to the inn. He uses some of his money to, to get the guy a place to stay. And then he promises to return on his way home. But he doesn't try to do more than he could. He doesn't promise more than he can. He doesn't meet every need. He doesn't cancel his trip. He does no more, no less, than what God enabled him to do in that moment. The good Samaritan recognizes that this hurting man is his neighbor, and he goes beyond just feeling empathy, and he gets off his, his, his donkey, and uh, he takes action. All right, here's the fourth radical truth, and I love this one. This is, my, this is my favorite one. This is the most radical truth of all. Here it is. When you help others... You know what? You actually help yourself. You help yourself when you help others. Check this out. A psychology professor from the University of California uh, recently put out a paper based on extensive research that concluded, we found widespread support for the notion that people with a tendency toward depression can help themselves by helping others. They call it positive activity interventions. And they went on to say that small things like helping someone with groceries, Writing a thank you note or even saying a prayer for someone can serve as an effective, low-cost treatment uh, for depression. I'll tell you, this is something that's really impacted me recently. I've never really, you know, looked at someone um, who, who needed my help and thought, you know, if I don't help that person, I'm the one that misses out. But I, 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 didn't, I didn't really see that in this story. But, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying and, and exactly what will happen if we don't help uh, you and I will be the one who misses out. Now, will I inherit $125 million like Melvin Dumar? Uh, maybe not. Uh, but I could miss out on something even more valuable, the eternal life, the abundant life, the kind of life here and now that Jesus wants me to have. In the last few months, uh, God's brought a person into my life where at first I thought, I'll, I'll be a good Samaritan to this person. It's a, it's a pastor a pastor friend who contacted me and asked me, you know, would you, would you be a mentor for me? Can I turn to you for advice and, 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 and lean into you for, for, for help and support? And I said, yes. Thinking to myself, yeah, I'll go out of my way to help him. I'll be a good Samaritan to him. But do you know what I, I discovered? I discovered that it helped me to help him. It's been good for my heart, good for my soul. It's made my life more fulfilling. I mean, haven't we all thought that, you know, just a little bit more money and things would be good, you know, in my life? You know, uh, 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 maybe a little bigger house, 
a little nicer car, a little more uh, vacation, a little more sleep, whatever it is. It's always more, but it always leaves us asking the same question that this guy asked Jesus. How do I really get eternal life? How do I really get a hold of the best life possible? And the best way to get, to get the most out of life, according to the story Jesus told, is to stop trying to get more for ourselves and to start seeing our neighbor as anyone along our path who has a need. And don't just feel sorry for them, but respond by getting off your donkey. And so all of us here, we've got a choice to make. Every day you and I see people in need and make choices about getting off our donkey and taking action. And when we help others, when we serve others, we actually help ourselves. And so I want to present you with three choices. Three choices that I want you to make. Three choices that I think will help us get off our donkey. All right, here's the first choice. Start with one person. Start with one person. A good Samaritan, he didn't set out to solve the crime problem on Jericho Road. You know, he didn't set out to meet every need on Jericho Road. He just started with one person who was hurting on his path, and he helped him. Start with one person in your life. Serve that person's need and see what God will do. Maybe it's a stranger that comes on your path. Maybe it's a, a student in your classroom. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, a relative. Start with one person. I love what uh, Pastor Andy Stanley says about this. Look at this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Isn't that great? Because if we all did for one what we wish we could do for everyone, it might change the world. But certainly it would change one person's world, and it may even change your world. If you sit down with someone and share coffee or a meal, Jesus would often sit down with people and eat with them as a way of extending kindness and, and love and friendship. Start with one person. And then second choice, make your to-do list secondary to your mission. I like to make to-do lists. I, I usually start my day that way. I, I make a to-do list on a post-it note or maybe an index card. I've even got several ongoing uh, to-do lists on my computer. I use a computer program for, for various areas in my life and, and, and ministry. I've got all these to-do lists, but you know what? Sometimes, if I'm honest, I get more focused on finishing my to-do list than my mission. That's a growth area for me. I mean, think about it. The Good Samaritan had a to-do list. He had a schedule. He had an appointment. He had something important that he, that he, that he was uh, getting to, but he makes his to-do list secondary to his mission, and he helps out this, this hurting man. And getting on mission with Jesus means that my to-do list is secondary to my, to, to, to my mission. And if, if you're on mission with Jesus, your to-do list is secondary to your mission. In, in his book, Life on Mission, Tim uh, Harlow writes about this research project done by a couple of Princeton uh, University professors. They assigned students the task of giving a presentation on Jesus' teaching about the Good Samaritan. But what the students didn't realize is that they were part of the research project. And as each one of them made their way uh, to make their presentation on the uh, Good Samaritan, uh, the professor had arranged for each student to encounter a person who was in need to see how each student would respond. The research revealed one factor that strongly impacted whether or not a student would stop and help a person in need. And it was not the spiritual beliefs of the students. That didn't affect 
how the students responded. Here's the key factor. The students who were told, you need to hurry and give this presentation as soon as possible were so busy that only 10% of them stopped and helped this person who was obviously in need. But the students who were told, uh, you know, you've got plenty of time. You know, take your time. 63% of them stopped and helped the uh, person in need that they encountered on the way to make the presentation. Here's, here's what that means. We would serve and help six times, six times as many people if we were not chronically and perpetually busy. Think about that. Six times as many people would experience the kindness and the love and the grace of God if we made our to-do list secondary uh, to the mission of Jesus in our lives. You know, I felt like God tested me on this on, on Thursday this week. On Thursday, I got up early in the morning because I, uh, I had a busy day and I had a deadline to meet to get this message done. I was, I was in a hurry. And so I got in my car and headed toward the office and I stopped at McDonald's and uh, I, just, I just ran in, uh, got an Egg McMuffin and uh, I, I left and I'm getting in my car and a young man uh, walks up to me in the uh, McDonald's parking lot, taps on my window and I rolled, I rolled down to my window and uh, he says, he asked me for some money, uh, for some gas. And it's like, it's like God is testing me on this. And so I gave him $20. I got my wallet out. I gave him $20 uh, for gas and he thanked me and he, uh, he asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to work. I, I said, I work at a church. I'm a pastor. And we got in this uh, little conversation. One thing led to another. And we had this spiritual conversation. And guess where he is uh, right now? He is sitting right over here in the uh, mezzanine. Would you please stand up, uh, sir? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not here. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. Just see if you're listening. I wish he was here. Uh, but he did knock on my window and ask for money, for gas. I didn't give him money, but I did meet him at a nearby gas station, and I paid for some gas for his car, and I don't know if I really helped him. I hope I did. Sometimes it's hard to tell. But you know what? It helped me yeah, to help him. It, it helped my heart. It was good for my heart. Make, make your to-do list secondary uh, to, your, to your mission and uh, it'll not only help other people, it'll help uh, you. And then third, do what you're equipped uh, to do. Think about this. The Good Samaritan uh, had a donkey to transport the man to the inn. He had oil and wine that he used as medicine to treat the man. He had money to pay for a place for the guy to stay. The, the Good Samaritan had resources. He was equipped to help this guy. Same thing with the innkeeper. The innkeeper had space. He had time. He had food available to help this man uh, recover. Here's a question for you. How has God equipped you to serve others? What resources do you have to, to help others? Do what you're equipped uh, to do. And so here's a challenge for you because it's one thing to talk about serving other people and it's a whole, it's a whole other thing to actually uh, do it. Many people, uh, you know, many, many churches, many organizations, many businesses uh, really struggle with, with what's called the knowing and doing gap. We know what to do. You know, we know what Jesus uh, wants us to do, but sometimes we don't actually follow through and do it. And so there's this knowing and uh, doing uh, gap. And so I want to challenge you, okay, to let our church equip you to serve someone in need. We're calling this challenge the intentional 10. And maybe this intentional 10 will help some of us, you know, close that gap 
between knowing what Jesus wants us to do and, and doing it so that we get on mission with Jesus. Here's the challenge. We believe that being a witness for Jesus by connecting people and serving people is so important and urgent that River Glen wants to equip you. We want to equip you with $10, $10 for you to use to show kindness to someone who needs Jesus. Maybe it's somebody at work or at school. Maybe it's a neighbor or a relative. Maybe it's someone, maybe it's someone God brings into your life across your path uh, this week. We've got envelopes uh, with $10 cash. And we want you to use this, this $10 to sit down with someone who needs Jesus and pay for their coffee, pay for their breakfast, pay for their lunch, pay for their, their meal as an act of kindness and see what God does. Best thing that any of us can do when it comes to helping someone get connected to Jesus is, is for us to act like Jesus and that means being kind. And so we want to equip you uh, to do an act of kindness for someone who needs uh, Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, I'll do the intentional 10. I'll do the act of kindness, but I'm not going to take the $10. You know, I'll use my, my own money. And that's okay. But I really want to encourage you to take the, take the envelope with the $10. Um, I, I, I took an envelope. This is mine. And here's why. Because if you take an envelope, you know what? You're making a commitment and it's more likely that you're going to actually follow through and do it. This is going to give you extra motivation to do it. And you know what? This $10 might save someone's life. This $10, you don't know, this $10 might change somebody's eternity. And you know what? This $10, it might change your life uh, too. And so I hope you'll take one of these envelopes and do the intentional 10. Here's how it works. Right after this service... Uh, if you're an adult or if you're in high school and your parents say that it's okay, pick up one of these envelopes. Go to the unfinished wall right outside, right in the middle of the uh, lobby. You can't miss it. We've got a couple tables there. We've got signs that say uh, Intentional 10 uh, between the entrances to the auditorium. We've got, we've, we've got several people at the tables there. Don't be shy. Just go up, ask for an envelope, and they'll hand one to you. No questions asked, okay? We're not going to take your name down. We're not going to follow up on you. No strings attached. No strict deadline. Uh, you don't have to fill anything out. We're just going to trust you to use that $10 to show kindness and serve someone who needs uh, Jesus by uh, sharing coffee, buying their coffee, buying their meal. We put the instructions in the envelope. And here's, here's why this is so important. Look how Jesus ends the story of the Good Samaritan. Look at what he says here. He, he says, go and do likewise. He doesn't say, you know, go and, go and just think about this. Go and just pray about this. No, 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 no. He says, go and do. Go and do. Close the gap. Remove the gap uh, between knowing and, and doing. I want you to think about that as, as we offer communion today. Because the story of the good, good Samaritan is really a picture of what Jesus did for you and I. Jesus saw you in your need. You know, and he didn't pass you by. He, he found you broken and wounded. And he healed you. And he restored you. He sacrificed himself for your debt. And he promises to, to come back. Communion reminds us that's what Jesus does for people. That's what Jesus has done for you. And now Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and serve others. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to pass communion, uh, communion trays to honor and remember how Jesus served each one of us each, uh, on the cross. Our communion is open to anybody who says yes to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we're thankful for this story that Jesus told about 
the Good Samaritan that still has power for our lives today. So much power. God, I pray that it becomes a way of life so that we experience the most fulfilling life, eternal life, starting now and lasting forever. God, I pray that as we face opportunities, every day that you put before us, that we will remember these radical truths, that our neighbor is anyone in need, and that we'll go beyond empathy, get off our donkey, and we'll do what you equip us to do. And by helping others, we help ourselves experience the life that you have for us. And God, thank you so much for Jesus who served us and sacrificed himself for us so that we can have eternal life now and forever. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.